Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of a conversation. The reason I started this podcast was to get more people talking about vulnerability. Especially as we come out of lockdown, there are going to be a lot of hard feelings to process and a lot of challenging moments. And I feel like the more vulnerable we can be, the more we can reach out for help, share the failures, tough moments, the days when we just feel like giving up then the more we can support each other through this. Vulnerability is a pretty uncomfortable sensation. I wouldn't say that anyone really enjoys it. But the thing about vulnerability is that it's kind of a gateway to all the things that we do enjoy, whether that's connecting with other people, living up to values, being able to really speak our truth, and also being able to be honest about who we really are and what we really want. I could go on talking about vulnerability, as you've probably guessed, for quite a long time, But to be honest, my guest today puts it all so well that I'm just going to pass it over to him. My guest for this episode of Notes on Vulnerability is Nick Hansfield. Nick could be the poster boy for going with the flow and all the amazing places that this can take you to in life. He is perhaps first and foremost a surfer. Currently the chairman of Surfing England, he is also a founder member of Surfers Against Sewage and an ambassador for the Blue Marine Foundation. From early years in osteopathy, he has moved into a life that is all about water, including being director of the Wave Productions, which produces creative and intellectual work on surfing. Plus, he is the founder and chief visionary officer of the Wave, an inland surfing facility near Bristol, and he's also been voted one of the UK's most disruptive entrepreneurs. The Wave is kind of a revolutionary concept, not just the idea of being able to surf when you're about 60 miles from the nearest viable surf beach, but because it unapologetically presents surfing as a way to tackle issues of physical and mental health. Nick had the idea in 2010, when having worked in healthcare, he realised that so many of the physical and mental health issues people were battling were due to inactivity, disconnect from nature and disconnection from other people. Together with Chris Hines, he began to work on and then bring into being the vision for the wave. The wave has been closed on and off since it opened due to COVID, but we'll be up and running when this podcast goes out and offering surfing for everyone, including people who may often feel excluded by disability, illness, age, gender, background, income, fears or pressures to conform. I can personally testify to the power of surfing. I first got on a board three years ago, quite a long way from being a teenager, and I think it's fair to say that it changed my life. I'm terrible at it, but that's not the point. It's the challenge, the connection with other people, the physical exertion and the element of play. Plus the power of the ocean, the energy of wild spaces, the freedom and adventure that nature offers, as Nick puts it. You can't really have a go at surfing and not connect to something inside you, even if that's just an hour of energetic fun. But back to Nick. He is clearly an innovator and an inspiring social entrepreneur who has not just given airtime to diversity and sustainability, but has put money and effort behind them too. There have been awards and accolades recognising this, and, I would hope, a deeply satisfying sense of making a difference. But although this may sound like a glorious rap sheet of achievements, which it is, he's also just a human being. There were plenty of challenges getting the wave up and running, including a global pandemic. And last year, before the Covid lockdown, Nick suffered a stroke completely out of the blue. Rehabilitation has been a long, hard road, physically and emotionally, but by his own admission, built resilience. Today he has recovered, although a stroke is not the kind of experience that leaves anyone the same as they were before. Nevertheless, when the wave reopens, I suspect he'll be the first into a wetsuit and onto the waves, if he hasn't had a few sneaky surfs already. So Nick, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Okay, let's start by talking about the wave. You started out with £500, a promise to your father and lots of unanswered messages to Wave Garden. How did you get from there to here? Um, a huge amount of naivety, I think. Um, a lot of passion, a lot of tenacity. And I guess um, creating creating a vision for the future, which is a better place than we had at that stage. So a big part of that is um, one of the first people that I sp- spoke to was Tim Smith, Sir, Sir Tim Smith, who uh, um, set up um, the Eden Project. And he talks very much about creating future truths. So it's not it's not a lie. It's, it's the way that you want the future to be. Um, and I would say that um, that's probably one of one of my sort of powers is the, the power of persuasion, being able to paint a vision of something that you would end up going, well, why would not? Why would we not back that? Why would we not help that? Why would we not fund that? Why would we not and let, you know enable that to go through planning? Um, um, so, yeah, I guess I don't know whether that is is a visionary trait or something like that, but it's 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 a power to persuade people of where where there is a, a future that is better than where we are at the moment. I guess that that's that's what I l- leaned on very very heavily. So, are you basically a kind of manifestation king? <laughs> uh, is that a con man? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Um, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I guess it's just painting. Paint the ability to paint and and allow other people to visualize um, uh, something much better than what we've got at the moment, and being able to um, a, a bit of a power of persuasion as well. Um, I definitely had to do that along the way, and fundamentally create a team of people who believe in in what we could achieve together, and then. And bring people along that journey. So I think I, I've been good at really identifying where I'm not not great, and being able to bring people along the journey with me who are way better than me. Were there any moments when you felt like it wasn't going to happen? Um, not many, surprisingly. Um, in nearly nine years until we got got it opened. Um, didn't really we had one really tricky moment whereby in fact there were two two tricky moments there was one where whereby we were thinking that we weren't going to after nearly having seen about 230 investors over the course of nearly two years uh, with my business partner Craig um, and and what was the first time where we thought this is just too hard to be able to get away from an investment point of view. There was a lot of unproven technology, uh, and we were, and a lot of the advice that we were told was, why don't we wait for somebody else to prove the technology and then um, ride off their coattails and and be able to get the investment away. So we were thinking about maybe mothballing the whole company for maybe a year, and then starting again a year later and see if it will be a, a better environment for us to be able to raise the investment. Um, so we were told to go away, or I was told to go away and just have um, some time with the family. We went we went abroad, went to, to America um, for a, a relaxing holiday. And by the time I came back, I, I suddenly, we suddenly had a, a, a phone call from a potential investor um, and it's our, our investment partners that we have now, um, and uh, yeah, it's you know that it, it, that's the real. That was two weeks where I, where I went. Oh, 
maybe I need to really think about just it's not stopping but maybe putting it on pause for a while um but that only lasted about a week and a half and then we were off again and then there was another one other time where whereby um uh the land deal was going to fall apart in fact we got all the way through the investment process and then the land deal um for some reason went really wrong and we were told basically that we couldn't have the land uh the access to the land um to be able to build the wave um and that was probably the first time where i properly broke down and cried i just i can i can see it you know it's just upstairs in 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 our bedroom i've just had that news just put the phone down and just slumped on onto the bed uh head in my hands just going this is just too hard this is too hard um and my little son he was probably about i don't know maybe seven at that time uh, uh he came along and said um don't worry dad um you'll fix it you always do um and then yeah i just sort of like right bugger it i'm, I'm gonna fix this uh he, you know yeah my, my my son dylan's got faith in me right so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go around to that that person's house and have a real good one-to-one with them and go can we can we please just turn this around and and we did um so those yeah those were the two times where i think probably we're looking at um it not happening so in that kind of situation where something feels like it's just falling away your response Mm. is to sort of engage head on um yeah eventually i mean i i do sometimes i do dwell a bit bit too long um but normally, I'm I'm I am one I'm terrible in terms of being so solution focused. So no no sooner has somebody's words come out of their mouth of a problem, I'm right up the way going right. How do we how do we tackle this head on? Um, I've I've normally got by the time somebody's finished a sentence of where there's a problem, I've normally got a couple of fixes that I'm starting to 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 think about and start to be able to try and help solve when I was doing research for this there was a quote I came across from you in another article saying um don't look so scared don't I? yeah I know I just <laughs> like oh my god what, what she what I said <laughs> no it's uh don't have a plan b because if you do then plan a won't work because you're already set up to fail I feel like you know plan b is the accepted wisdom you must have a backup you must have a security net um but what you said really struck me and I just wondered where that came from. Where did it come from? Um, I guess, I guess it comes from, uh, and I've been. It's been said so many times in in most meetings. I'm always the absolute optimist. Um, uh, so, so I think I think if you're putting energy into into creating a plan B, if you were to put that energy, that extra energy into a plan A. And that plan A is so compelling. It's such a good plan. Um, and anything less than that will be a compromise, either compromise in the final final output or compromise on my values or, or, or whatever. Um, so it's, about, it's, it's, it's almost about trying to work out what the perfect end game is, that perfect scenario of success for everyone and creating such a compelling um view to get to that point 
that why why would anybody settle for a plan B? Uh, and the amount of energy and time it, it, it um, you would expend trying to even think about a plan B, um, then why not just put it onto a plan A? You know, the reality is that there's loads of other people now around me that, that are probably looking at plan B, plan C, plan D, but I'm, I'm terrible. I don't really want to know about them and I don't particularly ask about them because uh, I'd much rather focus on, on, on what the end, point, the end goal is for the rest of us. But definitely people are probably less, uh, are um, more risk averse than me would probably um, uh, definitely have a, definitely have a plan B and a plan C, but that's just not the way that I'm, I made up really. Um, I feel like we often bring a, a plan B into play in situations where we feel very vulnerable and it's to try and cope with vulnerability we have this kind of backup plan which basically allows us to not go for it Mm -hmm. so that's why I really liked that quote because it was just such a switch on the kind of what everyone else is saying about being prepared and it's like well are your eggs in in this basket if they're in this basket then take the basket and run with it you know yeah exactly Um, it's 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 the it's it's a whole point of of risk really isn't it or the or the whole the whole um emphasis on risk and where where do you sit on that scale of taking risk and you know you one of the things with being a surfer is you take risks the calculated risks but you do take risks so by by being a surfer you probably would be prepared to take more risks than most people um um but it is still a calculated risk mm. um but yeah i i guess i hadn't really i hadn't really thought of it in that way but yeah it, it's particularly from a vulnerability point of view um and i guess i guess this whole the whole venture of of um building the wave was was a a little bit of a um moment of kind of clarity of going why are we doing everything that we're doing uh you know just lost my dad really tragically um he's he was so risk averse so risk averse i mean Ironically, it's the fact that he 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 died that probably is the reason why I was even able to think about this, because he would be the first person, and probably five times a day would be calling me up and, and be going, "Don't do it! Don't do it! You've got a good job, you've got a good family. Why would you do that for yourself?" Um, and actually, um, and my mum um, was always, "Go for your dreams, just go for it. It'll all be okay. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine." And they were really good sort of counterfoil to each other in life. But with my dad, all I'm very, you know, was was you know, unbelievably close to my dad. But actually, I was definitely the risk taker in the family in his eyes. Um, and actually, his passing probably allowed me to just go, I've, I've now haven't got anybody to tell me that I shouldn't be doing it anymore so so the scales um, tipped yeah exactly exactly um and you know and, and actually gets even worse because then my mum just goes there going oh your dad would be so proud and I'm there going he's totally wouldn't <laughs> now. he'd be absolutely uh yeah I'd probably have given him a heart attack <laughs> anyway for what I was doing so but you know obviously you know you've got mum that's just constantly going it'll all be fine it'll be fine you know just go for it oh and your dad will be proud and just going right there's no stopping me you've kind of talked a bit about vulnerability there and I get the sense that you've had you're you're quite a vocal advocate for mental health and also diversity 
Uh, you've got an interest in adaptive and parasurfing, and you've also talked quite openly about your own health. Mm-hmm. Um, these are places where there's a hell of a lot of vulnerability, especially, I, I feel, for men. Mm-hmm. Um, when I ask people about vulnerability, the instinctive response is often that to express it or show it is a weakness. Uh, but you seem to see the benefits of doing that and also what's on the other side um, and also the strength that it takes just to be vulnerable. So I wondered if that was intentional or whether it's just coming from kind of somewhere else. Um, yeah, I don't have, I don't really have big intentions other than just trying to be more and more just myself and not trying to put any kind of facade around who I am, not trying to, you know, I just, I, I, I particularly since last year, you know, uh, having a series of strokes, um, you know, 100% going, oh my God, I, I might not be alive any minute now. Um, just, it just opens you up actually to then go, you know, just, um, just be yourself. You know, if, if people don't like you for who you're, who you are and what you're saying, um, then, then so what, they're not the people that you should be surrounding yourself with. Um, and so what's been really, really important for me in the recovery from, from the stroke is that I've really surrounded myself with the people who, who I care about and also who care about me for the right reasons. Um, uh, with that vulnerability at times, you know, I, I definitely have had some times over the last year or so where I've really struggled, um, trying to understand how, you know, get some perspective on life, why I'm here, all those kind of things. Um, but also then with this global pandemic, seeing that suddenly this conversations opened up all across the board because everybody kind of was started to go through what I just started to go through with, um, with having had a stroke and trying to get my head and tail around it. Um, so it's not intentional. Um, I think I've always been quite sensitive, um, from, a from, a um, emotional point of view. Um, I definitely at times had dressed it up with a bit of bravado, but not, but not too much. Um, I guess that comes from, uh, I've got three strong women in my family, my mum, um, and my two sisters that I grew up with, uh, and they worked very hard to break down my dad's own sort of, um, bravado and lack of, lack of, being able to um, speak openly about his feelings, um, and my my mum's a counsellor, and you know, really, it's something that you know I, I would never ever have expected my dad when I f- when when we were growing up really young for my dad to ever cry or show any kind of emotion, but actually over time, he that sort of really that that facade just really broke down uh, and. Um, and he ended up being an incredibly emotional character underneath and then starting to reflect that. Um, and I think that um, myself and my dad actually started to display to each other that emotional vulnerability that we're able to, to, to achieve um, together. And I think that that really s- stood me in good stead to then be able to go actually it's it's fine it's yeah it's fine i've got you know i've got three young boys um now and actually when my when my dad died i was you know 
you know, I was so distraught. I mean, of course, you'd be really distraught. Um, but I'd be at the dinner table and just absolutely suddenly bawl my, my eyes out. Um, and I was there going, oh, this is, this is rubbish. I shouldn't be doing I shouldn't be so, feel so vulnerable in front of the kids. They need, and then, you know, on, on my other shoulders going, it's fine. They, they, they need to see this. They need to know that it's fine to, for people to feel, feel how they are. Um, and actually I think I, I now look at it, uh, with my three kids, I think they're, they're really lovely, emotional human beings, which is great. I think it's sometimes, you know, I need to, I realize I need to at times rein that in a little bit. Um, but generally, uh, I feel like our kids are set up, uh, and particularly being young boys, that they are set up for having a bit more emotional intelligence about them, which hopefully will um, stand them in good stead for the future. Um, and that isn't intentional. It was me just being, you know, I felt like crying at that particular, you know, I may have just seen something, heard something that sometimes it's even just from myself, I, I say something, I go, oh my God, that's something that my dad would have done or said. It's normally around some terrible dad joke. And then, you know, I'll start crying because I'm like, oh, that's just the sort of thing that he would have said. Uh, and and then we can kind of have a moment of feeling a little bit sad about it, a bit reflective, but then normally it ends up being, you know, um, turning into a bit of a joke and using humour as a, as a deflection off the back of it just to sort of lighten up the mood and just go it's okay kids there's a there's there's a a, a normal pattern of how you how how you respond to moments of grief um rather than me having to go away and bottle it up and kids mm -hmm. not seeing any of any of that um and therefore not really understanding how to deal with moments of grief or loss or uh, things like that so um, I'm not saying that we've done it brilliantly well, but at least I know that we've got three young boys who are emotionally intelligent and can read a room quite well. I think it's kind of a superpower to give your kids the ability to healthily feel, let the emotions pass through, let them go, rather than, like you say, bottling up. And I think, you know, the, the, the bit that's where I've got it wrong is particularly like in the last year um, uh, when I lost all ability to be able to speak and the frustration and you know I there were definitely some times where where I just completely lost it because I just couldn't verb I realized how important for me it was to verbalize what I what I what I'm thinking and the, the inability to be able to, to speak just like like literally you know, throwing things and you know put a big old dent in one of my doors because it's like such a pent-up anger of and frustration of not even being able to say what I wanted to say and it was it was interesting you know I've reflected um, back upon that a lot in terms of looking at areas in your life where that frustration I mean we know that that frustration particularly in young young kids or well, babies you know the, the sort of terrible twos um, is a frustration of not being able to tell people what you actually actually want 
and and through that frustration is is amazing progress so then you start to get get your your mouth and your tongue and everything starts to work because you just want to get that noise out of you um, and the frustration of not being able to to walk and so then they start to crawl and and you have to keep falling over to and pick yourself back up and you know there's some lovely parallels with surfing from that um, but fundamentally um, have realizing how frustrating the lack of being able to communicate properly how that how that is talking the other day just by the by um uh, to some mums um from uh, who who uh, uh, mums of kids with ADHD and autism um, and you know I, I can properly now see how affected those kids are struggling with the inability to communicate and how frustrating and of course it just sends them quite often into a complete spiraling rage and uh, for a period of time for about six to eight months I could completely see how that works so I've got a lot more sympathy for people who really can't get their voice heard and also therefore I guess looking at things like um, particularly um, um, groups of people in society who can't get their voices heard um, and how how frustrating that is you know you look at a number of campaigns that have been well not even just campaigns um, in life things like um, Black Lives Matter where your voice is not being heard and how how frustrating that is and how that, that frustration just boils into almost violence um, because it's so frustrating and so there's some yeah I guess I guess what's happened last year has really opened up that that narrative about giving people a voice um, and it's something that I'm really committed to try and and help with uh, in the next stage of of yeah of my life definitely. Do you have a plan of how you're going to get involved or is it sort of an idea at the moment? Um, well I mean the, the obvious place is I mean um, the obvious place is through the wave we've got a really great we've got really great um following i think it's something that's gonna explode uh, over the next couple of years in terms of the ability for us to have a platform to be able to um voice some of these discussions uh and i you know and it's not my voice i know that a whole load of uh, we call call our staff wave makers we've got got amazing group of wave makers who who want to have a voice they want to, things to change uh, and we've got people around us and um, partners who we work with who also want that platform to create some kind of voice and challenge the status quo, really look at how we can improve society. Um, uh, and, um, and yeah, just I just dig the thought of that. If we can just work together on that, um, to, yeah, that, that partnership with, with amazing people, yeah, we can, we can, we can definitely create some real impact through that um, and do it through in a really amazing fun engaging environment which is is um, what surfing brings us I have got another quote of yours to quote at you oh, no. <laughs> um, you said if we look at this in a few years from now and all our customers are white middle class then we yeah. failed and that's quite a challenge isn't it because surfing mm. is is a the image is quite dominated by by white stereotypes the surf industry um like in so many areas um particularly areas in sport um that that is very very 
it's very easy to see that 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 is the effect of the fact that you know we we now have in in some quarters very white middle class um background um who are also pumping lots of money into different sports and it, it's it's embellished embellishing that um so that's happened i think that's 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 been around for years and and it's our opportunity to change that um so that is around creating i think fundamentally it, it starts with ourselves so um you know we we make no bones the fact that we uh, in our uh, initial um uh recruitment of of our wave makers uh you know we went out and go right we need to find coaching staff and lifeguards and all, all those kind of um jobs of course you, you're you're working in you know we've got amazing people but then just not the most diverse group of people out there because they've not been trained they probably don't have um, um you know particularly sort of marginalized groups of society are not down by the beach and um wanting to surf so it's it's a there's a real opportunity and i i guess i i always i guess that's the optimist in me there's a real opportunity to like right how can we change that so why are we not reaching out to those people um you know for staffing roles right uh how can we change the culture you know why why would nobody even come even consider coming surfing even though even though we've brought surfing inland we've brought it to within five miles of of it so what are the barriers the barriers normally from for surfing at the wave will be um price it'll be cultural it'll be transport you know that these kind of things and we start going right let's break each one of these down like how can we change that you know where are the opportunities where can we where can we do that outreach to go you know all right, if, it, if it's about price is there a way in which we can sponsor some programs how can we how can we work with partners to be able to um, bring people from ethnic minority groups into this space you know is it is it a cultural thing there's a lot of lot of cultural um, 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 groups around here are actually just scared of water they're just fear, very fearful so how can we break that down can we let's not get them surfing let's just get them around the space let's let's get them appreciating water and the healing powers of water and how uplifting it is and then maybe one day they'll want to come for a sur- uh, for a, for a swim and then maybe later that will be surfing so you know that could be a long journey but the long journey needs to start now otherwise it will never it will never become a journey um so yeah just taking each each reason as to why it's not happening and just trying to break it down to its 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 parts and then just trying to tackle that um, one step at a time. And if we can start to influence two, three, four people who are wave makers of, um, you know, different socioeconomic background or maybe um, different um, different race or maybe maybe a different level of ability, then we can start to start to change that. Um, but you know we're not we're not going to change change the world very quickly. But we need to start now, otherwise it'll never change. Um, so yeah, it's just a series of interventions and working with partners and trying to change the narrative, um, and then not just then change the narrative, but actually change the society that we work in, and therefore how that can start to 
spill out because we've got, you know, yeah, half a million people following what we're doing and then we can start to change the representation of us and that will hopefully allow people to go, oh, there's there's loads of black surfers in 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 in, in here at the moment. We we absolutely feel like it's acceptable for us to come there. And actually it's very welcoming. Oh and actually I've made some great friends there. Oh, and actually I want to work there. You know, that's that's how we can really start to change things. But um uh, we've only, you know, we've been we've been closed more than we've been open at the moment. Yeah. So we have to be realistic in terms of what we've managed to achieve this year, but absolutely set in stone um, what we want to do in the following years. I also wanted to ask you about, um, I and mean, I, I found surfing to be quite an accepting place, but I think there's an issue with hypersexualization of women in surfing culture. Yeah. Um, and given that you have quite a central role to play in British surfing and obviously this big platform with the wave, I just I also think that given recent events, it's quite important for men to get involved in this discussion. So I just wondered yeah. where you stood on it. Um, I, st- I stand very firmly on it in that uh, it's just not acceptable uh, in at all um, and particularly in this day and age. Um, we've I've literally just got off a... F- literally probably a minute before I called you up was um, having a call with uh, one of our wave makers a really lovely um, um, girl who who got um, has had a few run-ins with with members of 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 the public in in some of the sessions where um, not hypersexualization but much more maybe maybe a bit being seen as being um being put down a bit patronizing a bit sort of um kind of calm down darling kind of thing um just yeah just something that just is is not acceptable in in society let alone some a place where uh i've you know i I, it's just not something that's acceptable but it's good because in in terms of opening up a conversation she's absolutely brilliant in terms of broaching the conversation in the team and the number of people that then jumped up and said you know what it's not acceptable um and that coming from um females and males and males going that let's let's have a look at this we need to we need to let's dissect that let's see where those behaviors are coming from and let's work together as a team to 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 overcome um why that's happening and how we can support you and also most importantly give you the voice and the authority to go it's not okay it's just not okay um so you know it's again it's 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 all good having these conversations but it's far more important to see direct action off the back of it and what's great is that those actions they're not coming they're not coming from me they're coming from our amazing staff and people who are there for the right reasons and are um, absolutely bought into wanting to make a difference and to, and to make a change um, and I think that 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 that's an important leadership role with myself and the other leadership team is to go this is a safe space for us to have those discussions you're not going to be judged by them um, but you do need to let us know that it's going on because it'd be very easy for for us never have to have known that that's going on 
and therefore not being able to put in systems of support or bring out conversations um, for those um, discussions to happen. So, um, so it's good, you know, I, I, I'm, I've got such faith in the team to be able to, to deliver that. And again, if they deliver it really well, then that, that's got the, that's got the impact of, of therefore doing the right thing by another, you know, 200, 250,000 people that visit our place. That's where you start to make change, um, change of behaviors. Um, and, um, and that also, you know, that, that comes right back to making sure therefore that if there's a greater number of um, female surfers in the water that more people who are calling out the unacceptable and being able to celebrate the acceptable or or celebrate the real you know the real value of us all having a great time in the water together that's a great starting point and also if they those those females are of um, you know, a different race that we would normally uh, have, have seen in the water. You know, we, we're, we're nailing it really well with the adaptive community um, because because we, we we backed that four, five, six years ago and put some money into trying to make a difference and really got the community on board. And you know, that's why we, you know, in fact, our sec our second um, our second. Um, competition at the wave is going you know we, we did the english adaptives last year we're going to do the english adaptives this year it was just announced yesterday um and that shows how we've already broken down some of the barriers and the taboos around the adaptive surf community so we've proven the model we just need to go and do it with different areas of um of of society who potentially have been been sidelined i think often there's an excuse among sort of businesses that it's too hard, it's too costly, we can't do initiatives based around equality and diversity because they'll cause a problem. So seeing a business like yours, which is, you know, high profile, um, people are excited about seeing that it's a, pro a priority for you. I, th I think that's that's really inspiring and I think it's really important. Yeah, it is. But, but with the reality is that we've not yet got it right. Um, and actually it's... If we were to go out there and say we've done everything right, uh, we're we're just there to be shot down um, without a doubt, and that's not the reason why we do it. But um, but actually, the journey is far more important than, than the end destination. So, you know what what we can do, what we can absolutely do is we can potentially have, you know, um, you know, great companies, corporates coming in for an away day, they're going surfing, all the rest of it. But maybe then we can sit down with them and say, "How are you got getting on with your 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 diversity policy at the moment? You know how you know how's how's that working for you?" Um, and we say, "Well, you know, in our you know in our company, actually, we, we started off um, for our first year not in a great place with that. But these are some of the things that have worked. These are some of the things that didn't work. Um, and these are the steps um, that we can." You know we can help you with or maybe advise you with or just just share some information with that will also help others um, uh, change that the same with environmental um, considerations actually it's the journey is is so much more important um, and if we can bring people if we can bring our customers on that journey if we can bring corporates um, businesses and go actually um, I'm not a businessman 
um, but I've surrounded myself with really good people who are really confident in our ability to be able to change the dial, change change the way the business works, the business that's creating good um, at the same time, creating profits, but also having a purpose behind it. And if we can prove that um, uh, and be honest about where we still need to improve, um, and it's a big part of what we're going through a B Corp um, registration or certification at the moment. And the whole thing is like set your, set your baseline and just try and improve on it. But if you never ever do the data analysis, you never ever know what um, what the baseline is, um, then how are you ever going to improve anything? So just start measuring stuff. You know how, you know what is your split of male to female um, employees? You know what, what? How do you look like? Uh, how do you look in terms of diversity um, and disability? And and start to go right. This is what it is now. Can we improve on it this year? Can we improve it year on year? What kind of systems can we put in place that will really, or strategies to be able to make that difference? Um, but it starts with just at least holding a mirror up to yourself and go, what what do we look, what do we look like right now? So given this level of sort of transparency and willingness to admit your failures, can mm. we brand this as a vulnerability business model? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it's... Um, it's a hundred. It's a. That's exactly what it is. It's. It is. Yeah, I guess it's. It's that holding. It's holding the mirror up to yourself. Really, it's like let's not go out there telling telling everybody that we're we're all that. Actually, let's first we'll start with that mirror up to ourselves and go. Actually, what? How do we perceive ourselves? You know, putting yourself in that vulnerable space to go. You know, what are our failings? You know, what, where could we be improving? Um, and actually, you know. Um, Craig, who's CEO, um, we, we tried to every single meeting, we call it the W3, it's probably a practice that's done in a lot of places, um, which is, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well, and where therefore can we learn and make it better. We, we end, try and end every single meeting with that so that we, we can accept our successes, we can accept our failures, but fundamentally move on and learn from it. Um, and if we if we start every if we finish every conversation or, or every every meeting through that lens, then it, it, it creates a space where we can explore vulnerability. And that's so important for in life as well as business. Can I ask you about Blue Health? Tell me a bit about it. <laughs> Blue Health. Blue Health is uh, you know, is I was introduced to the concept of Blue Health um by uh an amazing guy, um, Chris Hines, who's still a mentor for me and, and, and helped, uh, you know, set up the principles by which we would um, develop our business. And also from Eastley Britain, who is uh, an amazing water woman um, who, um, from Ireland, who has, has made, made her life um, around Blue Health, um, not just as a big wave surfer, but fundamentally uh, a, doing PhD and research into the effect of the kind of like the healing power of water and how that could be um, really, really change people's lives mentally and physically. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a phrase that's, that, that's, you know, uh, that we've kind of adopted um, uh, at the wave, but it's about the healing power of water being, being in or around or hearing water particularly blue water 
um, and how that creates uh, a greater sense of well-being physically as well as mentally um, and actually could could that be a real panacea how, how, how could that be almost like a medicine chest for for many um, physical and mental health issues uh, I, I you know I know myself which is why I always whenever I, I feel um, you know whenever I feel like I'm slightly losing the plot you know my wife will say begrudgingly why don't you just go for a surf no if you go for a surf you'll feel better and I and I don't play on it honestly um but when I come back I, I am I'm so much better for it um and that was a big part of why I wanted the wave to be built is like knowing the innate healing power of water waves the ocean big horizons um that sort of immersion in in water knowing how important that was for me if i could share that i think that that would be a much greater um health intervention to um to to people than 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 i would ever from um you know treating them as an osteopath which i did for 17 years and it's got real scale to it so instead of having one intervention seeing one patient every half hour or an hour um actually we could then get 70 people in the in the lake every hour having this health surf intervention um and all the people that would be coming and just being around that space and the the the, the healing power of just being in in that blue space you know that that could be that you know instead of just having one health intervention that could be one, two, three hundred people every hour. It's like that's where you start making significant impact in the health and well-being of society. And then if we do that seven days a week, 364 days a year, and we also have that in different locations, inland locations where there's a real issue around health and well-being, that's where you know we could every single year be changing literally millions of people's lives um through that intervention um that started to get really exciting um and that's that's why we talk a lot about blue health because it it surpasses business models it surpasses surfing it actually about creating um a, a you know a society that is much healthier happier and more productive um and yeah if if, if we can do that um, well, we will. We have been doing it, and we're going to do it a hell of a lot more. I I always get the feeling that people are quite dismissive of anything that isn't hasn't come from a doctor, or yep. you know, sort of isn't a pill or something like that. But I know that actually, surf sessions were made available on NHS prescription yep. to some kids yep. in Devon and Cornwall. Yeah, yeah. So that happens. The um, the Wave Project, who are CRC um, that we work with, uh, they've been around longer than 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 the wave has um but joe taylor who set it up um he's uh we've been working together f for years wait waiting for the moment that we could actually deliver it at the wave um but yeah um you can get um um surf therapy um prescribed on the nhs in devon and cornwall um uh so there's a there's a there's a blueprint there and we're, we're, we're part of trying to create a mounting body of research to be able to back that up um so that potentially we can go to 
NHS service provide well become a NHS service provision um, and, and most importantly just try to reduce the amount of stress and anxiety there are in young kids uh, with early stage depression or anxiety or um, reduce the amount of medication they're having to take because they you know they've got ADHD or, or autism or various different interventions which potentially are more natural best for you and something that is self-prescribing so you know instead of having to take a medication or get a repeat prescription just go all right just i need to go down to the beach today or 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 go and spend some time by a lake or by a river or whatever it might be wherever that wherever that happy place is but really understanding that being in nature maybe in green space not necessarily blue space but being in nature uh feeling um how the health benefits of that rather than having to um, prescribe drugs for it um, yeah if or at least be be something that can go along um, with medication and be able to reduce the amount of that they have to take um, then yeah of course that's 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 got to be better for you so lastly um, I wanted to ask you about your stroke um, just just quickly, like for people listening, I just wanted to read something which I found on the Stroke Association website. Um, just in case anybody doesn't know, a stroke is a brain attack and it happens when the blood supply to part of the brain is cut off, killing brain cells. Damage to the brain can affect how the body works and it can also change how you think and feel. More than 100,000 people have a stroke every year and there are 1.2 million stroke survivors in the UK. So it's a big thing like it's it's something which you do we do need more awareness of um and you spoke earlier about the stroke taking away your ability to communicate that must have been absolutely terrifying Uh, i just wondered how you came back what was the physical process of recovery and also the emotional one still uh ongoing is the first thing i would say uh if you see me first thing in the morning or last thing at night i can't get a lot of my words out um which is why we're doing this podcast this sort of time of day because it, it's uh, uh um, I, I clearly can talk um at times um so i guess um i guess in terms of how it how it felt emotionally let's tackle that one first i was just so scared um you know honestly so so scared uh, not knowing what was happening to me, being completely compass mentis, uh, I could totally understand. I, I could see what was happening to me. Couldn't understand why, but could see what was happening to me. Um, and it was like I was just in a bit of a living nightmare. It was just because physically I was pretty much okay. I lost a bit of bit of weak. I got a bit weak weakness in my hand. I was playing hockey at the time. I play hockey pretty competitively still um and it just was a real bolt out of the blue but i just couldn't speak it's just like i, I can't speak it's like I can't. and and all the things you would normally you just, it just everything comes out of your your mouth um that you want to say and suddenly going i can't connect them i know exactly what i need to say right now i need to say that this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this is how I feel, all the rest of it. I couldn't get anything out of my, my mouth. And also I couldn't process stuff. So even if I was to write something down, I couldn't write it down. I couldn't process the language. Uh, I was, it was super scary. I was so worried, confused, um, 
uh, frustrated because because I just couldn't get myself heard uh, initially, but fundamentally was just very 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 scared. Uh, um, obviously, my wife was there, which was which was great um, throughout the whole time, and two of my best buddies just um, they, they just one one of them half an hour away, one of them two hours away. They were just there by my bedside as soon as possible. It was amazing. And just tried to, and actually it was good because they're both, they're both dear friends of mine. They're both people who would be quite probably, probably classic males in terms of bottling up their emotions. And actually I think it was quite good for them to see me in that state. I think we've got really close because of that. And because we, we went through that process together of, of me being very, very tearful and very upset and distraught and then just being there and being being close friends um, um, through that process. And then long, I guess the longer recovery was about, um, I guess it was about trying every single day that I was still alive going, having, get that confidence back of going, actually... I am going to survive this. I am going to survive this. And, and, and obviously as, as time goes on and you start getting more medical stuff coming back to you and going, Oh, that's clear. That's clear. That's clear. That's clear. You go, okay, I'm a bit more confident that this isn't going to happen right now. It might happen again in the future, but, and so again, and and then you then get to a bit where you just go, Oh, bugger it. Just, just need to get back to living my life again, because actually the, the head funk that this is give, getting, you know, getting to me on, um, uh, it just doesn't help anyone, least of all myself. But definitely, it doesn't help us get on with my wife, who's trying to get to work, and my kids, who need a father back, and all those things. Um, so it was almost like a bit of going back to almost like the same process I had to go through with my dad, that sort of grief, but actually coming out the other side that. I ended up ended up not really losing so much. Uh, I see some. I've surrounded myself with some amazing people who've been um, hit by strokes who have come out far worse than me, far worse than me. Though, and that's only the people that have obviously survived. And I realised that I was the most lucky person in the world. Um, it could have been so, so, so much worse. And I guess that's then where that optimism comes through, where you go, it could have been so much worse. Um, actually, if I've just got some bad speech first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and that's that's the worst I get, then I'll take that hands down, compared to some of my friends who have lost permanently way much more than that. Um, so then I guess it's just the flipping of a mindset. It's creating some perspective could have been worse um not ideal but could have been worse um and then just trying to flip that around to find the positive and go actually how can we spin this not spin it that's the wrong word how, how can i change my mindset to bring the positive out of this and then and then it kind of then starts i try to get back to work and then you go actually this blue health thing we you know ironically we released this blue health report about two two weeks before i had my stroke my stroke was part of my physical recovery uh, sorry my blue health was part of my physical recovery you know spent 
so much time in the water and being around waves and water and cleaning the lake and all those kind of things and really realized how firsthand that impacted my health and well-being right that you know we have to share that we have to share that story we have to share that um uh even more than ever and of course that then hit the same time as the pandemic loads of people not getting outside not getting into nature uh, not being around water um the huge demise in in their mental health in as an effect of that and we're going actually this is this is the perfect time to be talking about blue health and how we can help people um open up conversations um but also look at that as being a a social prescription model something that they can do themselves um and and yeah hopefully impact people's health and well-being um as and 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 most importantly is is open up that conversation um and being vulnerable about it but equally being realistic with some 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 ways in which they can help themselves i did actually want to ask you about the role that water played in your recovery not just the physical side but also the mental side uh, mental health um i have experienced the sort of transformative power of water i i cold water swim as much as i can i can't get to the sea but i will jump in anything around here (laughs) um But yeah, so I I know what it can do, but I just wondered in terms of your recovery, which has been from something serious in which the emotional impact, especially of losing the ability to communicate, Mm. must have left you feeling super vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, it was was massive. I mean, initially it was definitely just more the emotional recovery and just, um, you know, for, for me, from a personal point of view, I couldn't really speak. And the more I tried to speak, the more anxious I'd get more frustrated I'd get but felt like um felt like my um felt like my confidence was eroding every single time I tried to speak um so for me uh, I mean in in first lockdown uh, yeah the end of first lockdown so once I was able to sort of get back up onto my feet and do a bit more um I just and it was it it's coincided with that amazing amazing weather um and because the waves weren't running the whole time we were starting to get some a build-up of algae in our in our lake and that that for some reason really distressed me i mean yeah it's distressing but i i seem to have really took exception to it uh and i wanted my lake to be blue again rather than going green (laughs) so um so i just started you know with a little scrubbing brush I was like, oh, just need to get some of that off and and then I kept going and kept going and kept going and suddenly I was there like for eight hours it's like oh I feel quite good for having done that it was quite cathartic and then and then like the more and more I was able to sort of get get that blueness back in the water it, the, it literally felt like I was getting better as well um and um and because I wasn't I was just in in the water just up to you know waist deep just cleaning the lake bottom the whole time I didn't need to talk to anyone um and uh it's just alone with my thoughts and just cleaning the lake um for many weeks uh until it was it was like pretty much perfect it was amazing but by that time happened by the time that that had happened we then were able to start pushing some waves and then I was able to start felt strong enough to be able to go surfing again and it, it it 
unbelievably, you know, what we built, built ended up being my medicine chest uh, inadvertently, um, and um, which was great. So then, like my physical, re- my my mental rehabilitation, kind of as I got more and more confident. I guess it was mainly about confidence. I must have lost all my confidence um, um, back then, and, and, and slowly that's 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 come back again. Um, and then the physical bit came on top of that. The more the more I surfed, the stronger I was getting, and 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 I felt feel like I'm yeah some way. I probably feel like in total I'm probably about eighty five percent recovered from just o- over a year ago. Uh, and I sh- definitely shouldn't have been as good as I am right now. So personally, I feel that that's because of surrounding myself in the right atmosphere, the right environment. The one thing that I ask people to do at the end of this podcast is just to provide like one note on vulnerability. So one piece of advice about vulnerability from your experience that you would like to pass on to anyone else. I think just the main thing for me is, is I guess, being, being able to open up, open up, be vulnerable is actually um, a way in which and the true way that you'll actually be become really really strong um it, it's it shouldn't be seen as a as a weakness it's it's a pathway to being far stronger and not not necessarily stronger in terms of the, the conventional thinking of being strong in terms of having a much deeper uh, emotional intelligence to be able to um be a better person in yourself but probably just as important be much more respectful for the people around around you um, and having an insight in terms of being able to read the room at times and being able to have a deeper understanding on on a human connection um, so for me to be vulnerable is to be to make yourself super strong um, uh, and and yeah I think it's 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 so important to, to allow yourself to be vulnerable to then create that real strength that comes from it. That's an awesome one. Yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> I approve. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for all of that. That's been a fantastic chat. I really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me.